message from our lead pastor, Michael Signorelli. Prepare to go C1. Last week was awesome, and we had this powerful time where we talked about, you know, it just, it was so crazy. Let me just stop here. We talked about how there, there are these parents to John the Baptist, and there, and there was supposed to be another name, and yet this name was revealed like, no, his name's going to be John, and it was this epic moment where I said that if you have good leaders in your life, they are leaders who are going to refuse to call you what they want to call you out of convenience but rather they will say about you what God says about you. And we've got some pastors here, myself included, my wife, who are willing to say, you know, forget about what the church needs and what we think you should be doing to suit our own agenda. God has got a purpose and a plan for your life, and I'm going to push you into your destiny. And so if you missed that, go back, check it out. But this week, I Heart My Church, part three, and, and you're like, this, this is weird. Like if you're here for the first time, you're like, I don't really ever hear anyone say, I love my church or I heart my church, but this is a different church. This is a different place. God's doing something here that, that people are like, man, it's real. And you know what happened last week is I talked about being about how in my personal story, I revealed some things I was struggling to uh, my lead pastor back home before I moved. And this was years ago now expected him to fire me and yet he said you know what i see you for what you really are you're a lead pastor and we're going to get you on your destiny and and so in the in the last week people have just been coming clean and taking the mask off and revealing stuff and just saying this is who i really am and i'm and i'm telling you okay you ready now that you took your mask off this is who you really are and there's people getting healing and you know our team before this service started we were just huddled around there doing our dream team huddle and people were just weeping and the presence of god was strong so strong here and i told him i said you know what happened guys i'm like i don't we we've been a church right like we launched before palm sunday but after last week we became a church because you don't actually become a church until the mask comes off and until you can actually say this is all of what i am so when you tell me you love me you love all of this and some people just brought it all out and, and, they, and the responses that I'm getting is people telling me, Pastor Mike, I am so shocked and appalled at your response in a million years. I never thought you would respond the way you did. I thought I was gonna wreck everything that I had built by being a part of this church and yet, and yet it was different than that. And so I want you to know here in this place that when we say no perfect people allowed, we mean it. <laughs> because it starts with me. There's things in my life I'm getting right with God. There's a journey that I'm going on and I'm not done yet because we believe if you're not dead, you're not done. And so my message to you today is if you're not dead, you're not done. If you're sitting in that seat right now and you're breathing and you can hear me, God has got a plan for your life and nothing that you've got going on in your life is strong enough to stop him from doing it. Can I get an amen? Now you know I'm gonna go full gospel today already, right? <laughs> it's okay you know you guys watch Gary Vanderchuk and let him Vanderchuk and let him cuss you out the least I can do is scream at you <laughs> so we learned about that last week and um, I just got to start with a quick story so I was home I was actually I, I was in two weddings I, I performed a wedding just yesterday in Indiana at this country club which is so not my scene it was like really awesome I'm like and, and God is just doing some amazing things out there and we are flying back and all this madness was happening but I just want to make a public announcement 
to just try to change something culturally because this needs to be dealt with, okay? So just to get the whole world on the same page, and I hope that this turns into like a viral clip online. As long as I have a cell phone with service, I never want you to ever give me directions. Can we just clear that up? Is lo- Everyone thought I was going to be serious, so you're all waiting for it to drop. <laughs> as long as I have a cell phone with service, you I never want anyone here or anyone listening online or anyone on the podcast or this hopefully viral video to ever explain to me for 15 minutes straight how to get there. Now, I'm just going to bust Julie's dad out for a second. I love him. I love him. He's, he is, we call him Gaga. He was Gaga before Lady Gaga. But I was home in Indiana, and this guy was like, yeah, there's this, this coffee cabin, it's called. And he's like, you know, it's down there, and then you go here and left and right. And the, the whole time I'm thinking, as he's explaining, I'm like, as soon as you said coffee cabin, I was going to put that in maps, and it was going to tell me, and then take me on this magical journey with satellites in outer space, repositioning until I get there without you ever having to tell me anything. And so then that he continued, then the next day he's like, you know what, we're getting ready to go drive over to someone's house for dinner. He's like, you know what, Let, let's just do like a practice run where we drive to the coffee cabin so you really know where it's at. <laughs> and as my wife's dad, I can't say no. So then I'm like driving a coffee cabin and still never got to go there. But you know, here, <laughs> I still never got to go there. But here's the thing about it that's so funny and so weird about our generation is that especially because of Google, we don't want to be told things anymore. Am I right? Like, it's like, and we don't even trust people when they do tell us. Like, I'll be honest with you, most of you don't know where you're going most of the time. And I can tell by the way you drive. And so it's like when you when I get direction from people, I'm super skeptical. And, and then in New York, I'm always like, well, how do you know how much time it's going to take? And if there's not an alternate route, because Google can tell me that and save me time, right? Like you only know one way. But there's this thing that's happening in the in the earth. And it's very funny for me as a communicator and as a pastor is that the skepticism is growing and we're kind of like shifting our our you know, trust and our allegiance to Google, not realizing that that's essentially being fed by humans as well. You know, just a little bit and some machines too that are a little bit more accurate than Gaga. <laughs> but today, as we go into this next portion of I Heart My Church, I want to talk about what it looks like to be accountable, what it looks like to be submitted, what it looks like, I just said the dirty word, what it looks like to, to surrender your life and to say, man, because see, it's different. What happens in church is spiritual. There's this supernatural realm. And so when you commit your life to this place and put your roots down, you're not a consumer, you're an owner. And you know, it's like that. And and, and in our culture, we don't know about that. This marriage ceremony that I did yesterday, you know, as this couple stood in front of me, I I said, I want to honor this girl's parents who've been married for 30 years. And this, this, the groom's parents who've been married for 36 years, no pressure. And it's just like, and and so I was looking up the statistics and the average marriage in the United States today is a seven year marriage. So to have a 36 year marriage just defies all the odds statistically. And there's just something that's changing where we're like non-committal and we're consumeristic and, and we don't trust people. And we don't even want to hear people give us directions. Like 50 years ago, 60 years ago, if my father-in-law would have gave me directions, he would have been a great guy for that. But we've become such jerks that it's just like, as they're giving us directions, we're like, really? Really? Okay. 
I'm still going to type in my phone when you're not looking. <laughs> and we cannot allow that to affect our heart in such a way that we bring that into this thing that we're calling church because that's not God's design. So let's take a look at John chapter 13, uh, verse 2. Man, and supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Now, you all know about Judas, right? And you know that Jesus had these followers and he was betrayed ultimately by Judas. But you know, there is some background story to this that I just want to bring to life to show you what God's trying to do in your heart and in your life. It says, and, and supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And so here's my first point. And you can write this down in your notes. We have some V1 notebooks that you can grab on your way out if you want them. Being unaccountable makes your destiny unobtainable. Let me just say it again. Being unaccountable makes your destiny unobtainable. And here's another way of saying that. Your destiny is not obtainable until you become accountable. There's just something to say, like militaries have an enlistment and they take role. When you sign up for college, they're looking at that role. When you, are you in attendance? Like, are you actually showing up? And so it's like every other institution, your presence matters. But there's just something about the local church that we've made it okay to not be accountable. And you know, some of it's not our fault. Some of it's like, man, why would I be accountable to that leader? That guy's not even accountable. So it starts with the head. And then God says, I got a solution for you. I'm gonna send you a radically accountable psychopath called Michael Signorelli and Julie Signorelli. And they're gonna live their life in such a way that there doesn't leave margin for the devil to get in and do what he wants to do. And they're gonna lead you on that journey of accountability. You know, it's just like, and here's the other thing. It's even with our cell phones and everything, I, back in the day, and maybe because I was raised in the hood and we still had phones that had cords connected to a wall that had another line connected to another one connected all over the place and it produced sound without being like electronic. And when you said you were gonna be somewhere, you actually showed up. Because if you started to leave, you couldn't do anything else other than that, right? There was no like change in plans. And it's so funny because the convenience and the caller ID and like the way that your phone tells you who's calling so you can make that choice. And you've heard comedians like make fun of this over and over again, but it's like, I remember actually having to answer the phone and there was a little bit of excitement, like who's it gonna be, <laughs> right? We should make like an app that's analog feature iPhone where like you can't know who's calling you or it's like a text, but you have to guess who is it from, right? Like old school. <laughs> Everyone's like, no, that's a nightmare. <laughs> You're like, I got too many skeletons in my closet for that, Pastor Mike. <laughs> but, but the thing about it is, is we've become increasingly unaccountable. And, and, we, and it's because our society's he headed in that way and that's not God's plan. And so if you ever ask yourself, where did this whole mess with Judas start? It just, it's like, how could you follow a man? And Jesus was so radical and so crazy that it was actually a, a very scary and dangerous thing to follow him. It's very hard for us to understand it because we live, you know, in this time where Christianity has been popularized. And, but to be a Christ follower in that time, there were no Christ followers. And so it was like heretical to come out and say, yeah, I believe this guy's the Messiah that for generations has been prophesied. So how do you take a guy who surrenders his entire life and, and, and all of the 
you know, what it takes, the guts to follow this dude, and then he betrays him. How does that happen? Because this guy is in too deep now. But, it, but part of it happened is he wasn't accountable to Jesus directly for his feelings, and he let something get in the midst of him. And let me just, this is, we're going to go deep for a second. Is that all right if I just take it a little bit deeper? Okay, so here's the thing. Satan was kicked out of heaven because of his unique ability to create confusion, discord, and strife. Satan was actually like the head honcho worship leader. He was beautiful. Scripture talks about him being like Lucifer. He's just being this beautiful creature. And so here's the thing. He, he gets kicked out of heaven. Now, I want you to imagine for a second, heaven is a perfect environment. So just follow me. The Bible says that one third of all the angels actually went with Satan's plan. So if Satan's able to take a third of the angels in a perfect environment called heaven where they've been worshiping God together in unity for eons and eons and create so much discord and so much strife that he actually has angel against angel. Imagine that Marvel movie. And he's literally sowing so much discord and so much strife in a perfect environment that he corrupts the perfection of heaven. And God's only choice is to expel a third of all the angels with him. And now those angels, now as demon spirits here on earth, I told you I was going deep, okay? Are now still at enmity between those angels and you are caught up in that warfare every day of your life. I'm not going to pretend like there's not a spirit realm. I'm not here to tickle your ears. There is a spirit realm. And if Satan could do that in a perfect environment, what do you think he's going to do in your home? If Satan can do that in a perfect environment, what do you think he's going to do on your job? And you know, this is not something we want to hear. This isn't like the, maybe if some of you, this will not be your favorite message, but you are not going to get free until you learn that you do have an adversary. And if you're here and you're evolved and you know science and philosophy, we'll go toe to toe. I'll talk it with you too. But I'm telling you, almost every culture across every continent, across every decade of human existence has believed in some form of the devil. So it doesn't make you anti-intellectual to believe in the devil. Because actually, if you're in the minority who believes that there isn't one, this is a very new idea that Satan doesn't exist. When you study cultures across every continent and you study history, you realize that all of them collectively have this sense that the devil is real. And it's when you tell yourself he's not that he's like, I just won on you on a whole nother level. And so what happened is you have this guy, Judas, who did love Jesus, but he had an issue. And in this perfect environment, Satan said, okay, you have the, the Savior among you, and yet still, I'm going to sow discord. And here's where it starts. Satan watches for the opportune moment when a person is tired, weary, or exasperated. Can I just say that again for the note takers in here? He waits for the perfect moment for someone who's tired and weary and exasperated. Then he waits until someone does something that that person doesn't like. And he says, there's my crack in the door. And that's why there's so much opportunity in marriage. Like most of our marriage arguments, I'm going to tell you right now, have stemmed from exhaustion and weariness and tiredness. And I'm not trying to break it down too basic, but most of the solutions for Julie is just feeding her something. <laughs> it took me 11 years to figure that out. As soon as we start arguing, I'm like, babe, 
you know what you need right now? You need some chips and salsa. And that is spiritual too. And I'm like, not today, devil. <laughs> but here's the thing. It's in those moments of tiredness and weariness and total exhaustion that the enemy comes in. So you have these 12 guys who are going around and they're, they're on this mission to tell this story about Jesus and that he is who he says he is. And there's this exhaustion. They're sleeping on floors and they're, they're just in this place. And all of a sudden you have this moment. And, and some of you have felt this moment where the devil literally shoots this fiery arrow of rage straight into your heart. And you feel your entire being start to fill up with strife, unforgiveness, division. And it all begins in that moment. And he's still so good at it. Friends that once stood by each other's side can't even stand to look at each other anymore. Friends that you were like, you know, BFFFF forever. And now you cut them out of your pictures. You know, maybe this sounds familiar in your own life, but listen, be encouraged because the same scenario happened to Jesus himself. You know, after working with Judas for three years, the devil found his way into Judas' soul. And we're going to look at this because it's just so mind-blowing to me. Judas went from a disciple to a betrayer. How does this happen? How do you go from someone who's like, I love my church, to now you have, a, uh, you have your own vlog on YouTube that's just like v1churchsucks.com and all our graphics, you know, with like flame overlays and how Mike Signorelli is a Pharisee and you're on your mission. How does that happen? Because I've seen it happen in churches over and over and over again. Let me show you how it happens. In John 13, 2, which we looked at, the Bible gives us this very powerful insight into the way that the devil establishes the foothold, but we got to go back to John. You can write this down. Chapter 12, verses 3 through 7. And so what happened was, so you got to go, this is the backstory. You know how there's like that back drama? You know, it's like, have you ever met people that are like, oh yeah, I just hate her. And you're like, why do you hate her? And you start tracing it back and you're like, because she tripped you in the hallway in second grade? And you kind of go get the backstory. And you're like, literally, you're going to hate somebody their entire life for that? Well, Judas, many people have never made this connection that I'm going to make for you right now, is when you're like, when did this moment happen? Back in John chapter 12, verses 3 through 7, Mary, this woman, has brought this, this pound of anointing oil. It was like this fragranced anointing oil, and she poured it on Jesus' feet. And so Judas thought that her act was a waste of money and actually took issue with Jesus about it. Are you hearing me? But Jesus told Judas to leave Mary alone and allowed her to continue to anoint his feet. And then John 3, 13, 2 tells us, and supper being ended, now dinner's over, and the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So what happened was this woman begin to lavishly pour the anointing oil on Jesus and said, I want to give Jesus my best. I want to give him something that costs me something. It has to be a sacrifice. This can't be coming from the extra of my life. This has got to be coming from a place of desperation. And Judas being the purse holder, he was like the accountant of their group actually started to do the math and say, wait a second, wait a second. And I bet you in his mind, he had some good reasons why that was a waste of money. But she could have donated that money to our purse because we're a ministry and we're traveling. We got 12 men. You know how much 12 men eat? 
and Judas's wheel started turning and he started getting more upset about it man you know what Jesus I don't he does some stupid things sometimes I don't understand it he has us go places doesn't explain it sometimes he doesn't even finish sentences he walks away I'm like he's always like secluded from us in the morning I don't get him like that his leadership is kind of weak you know because I see these other guys training people up differently I'm telling you Judas's mind started getting racked and in that moment when he started judging the call that his leader made when he started judging the call that that Jesus made and didn't understand the heart of worship that was happening in that moment a little crack opened up into the door of his heart and Satan saw it and said I'm gonna kick that door off the hinges and forcibly enter Judas and how do I know this? How do you know I'm not just making this up? Take a look at it with me. That phrase, let's go back to that first scripture we looked at. The devil having now put into the heart of Judas. So when you go back into the original language, which was Greek, and probably very few of us in this room know Greek, right? When you look at that phrase, when it says put into, it actually means to throw, to cast, to thrust, or to inject. And in the original Greek, it actually has the same connotation of like stabbing with a knife or a needle. So when that moment came, what began to happen was that that Satan didn't just suggest something. This is what I need you all to understand here in this place. It wasn't like he just, you know, we kind of have the good angel and the bad angel imagery from like Hollywood. And it's like Satan just makes a little suggestion. It was actually Satan forcibly entered him and, and like with a stabbing motion of a needle or a knife and just begin to possess Judas. Notice that phrase. It could actually read like this, and you can check it out. John 13, 2 could therefore be translated, the, dev the devil having now stabbed into Judas' heart. The devil having now forcibly hurled into Judas' heart. The devil having now embedded into Judas' heart, like a tick embeds its head. There is no doubt that this, word, that this word means the devil quickly seized an opportunity. It wasn't a slow process. It was like as soon as he had that opportunity, he began to run towards that opportunity. Judas was used as Satan's instrument because he allowed the enemy to drive a wedge between him and Jesus. Rather than let go of the disagreement, forget about it, Judas let the issue become a big deal in his mind, something so blown out of proportion that the devil was able to use it as an offense to lure him into the ultimate act of disloyalty. And so when we go on this journey, I heart my church, I heart my church, I want you to know that if you give an opportunity in your heart for offense, that the devil is not playing fair with you. If you give an opportunity for criticism, if you give an opportunity for judgment, if you give an opportunity to go to that place in your mind, that he is literally gonna hurl himself into your heart with any opportunity he has. And so if you wanna keep your heart clean, what you've gotta do is guard yourself against offense. And you've gotta say, I'm not gonna let that take root into my heart. And so when you look at, at this church and you see people loving the way that we do, you know that love's gonna be tested, right? When people fail your expectations, you know, if you've never experienced that, you will. You will experience that in your life. And we have to recognize these things. We've got to be able to look and say, I know what's happening right now, and I refuse to surrender to it. And in that moment that you refuse to surrender, you become more like Jesus. 
even into Jesus, the very end, he was still saying, Judas, there's still an opportunity. I still have a way made for you, but it's something that he had to accept. And so I want to say this, and we're kind of like going through this series. And I think that people are skeptical of a church that loves well because they have been so wounded and they've just had so many things happen to them in the past and they've been so used up that there's like, how could this possibly exist? And something that my wife and I say all the time to people is like, not if we hurt you, but when we promise we won't do it on purpose. Because see, you know, you are gonna get failed. The Bible says there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. His name is Jesus. And so if you're looking for a perfect man and you've been on this search your entire life, I I need to find this guy who's gonna embody everything I ever thought was true and right in the world. I'm telling you, the only way you're gonna meet that man is through the Holy Spirit. His name is Jesus. If you've been saying, I'm finally gonna go to a church where nobody's ever gonna do me wrong, guess what? You're gonna stop going to church altogether because that church doesn't exist. But then whatever other club you find yourself in, they're gonna do you wrong too. (laughs) The difference is the plan of God for your life is not the community centered around a bar stool. It's the community that's centered around God. I wanna be accountable. And and the message of accountability is not a message that you climb over the chairs for. But I'm telling you, if you've ever submitted yourself and said, man, I'm willing to go all the way, correct me if I need to be corrected, you know, rebuke me if I need to be rebuked, and you go through that process and get on the other side, you will live and operate in a freedom that you have never experienced before. You know, it's like going to the gym and you pay for a personal assistant and they come there and they're your personal trainer is whatever, you, that is only as good as your submission to what they're bringing into your life, am I right? And, and it's so funny because people are like, man, I just don't seem to, to grow in my walk with Christ. But really what's happening is the level of submission is not there to say, I need to go all in on this house. And I think there's a, a, a gravity to what I'm saying today because how would it have looked? And, and, and this isn't scripture, but I just want you to hear me. How would it have looked if Judas was like, Jesus, we need to have a critical conversation. Jesus, like something went down and you responded in such a way. Can we have a talk about it? You know, when that woman was pouring the anointing oil on your feet, we got needs, Jesus. Like I'm here counting the money for us. Like we're trying to do this thing. We're trying to conquer the world. Like I don't get what your decision was. How would it have looked different? But instead, instead, all of a sudden, instead after dinner was over, that door began to crack and the devil just went all in on him. And you know, I look at Judas's life as one of the biggest tragedies that we have in all of scripture. You know why? Because Acts chapter two, when Peter stood up and preached the best sermon that's probably ever been preached in the history of the universe, I believe that was supposed to be Judas's finest hour. I believe it should have been Judas who was like, man, I betrayed him. I messed up so bad. None of you guys in this audience messed up as bad. I'm literally the one who gave him the kiss of death. And yet that death was to redeem me and he can redeem you too. And Acts chapter two could have been even crazier. But he had an offense in his heart that stemmed from not understanding a decision that a leader made and it drove him all the way to betray the Messiah and then eventually hang himself. And if there's anything that you need to hear in this room this morning is that if you are the person who's living with offense in your heart, that's going to be the thing that does you in. Because it's, it's like we say this all the time to the point where it becomes cliche, but it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. 
How's that working out for you? And so my message to you today is that you can be free from that. And there's a story that God gave me when I was back home in Indiana. You know, we had this uh, staff that was growing rapidly. And as the executive pastor, my role was just to pastor the staff more than the church at large. And so, and I called them my babies, you know, and I'd like, and we just did life together. And, and every day we met, and we cried together and we laughed together and we watched them. And I just had the opportunity to see two of them get married that I said was gonna be perfect for each other, but they didn't believe me until God fixed their brokenness. And isn't it funny how your choices change when your brokenness is healed? <laughs> Isn't it funny how your eyes change? Like guys that you were like, I never go for that guy. He's a good guy. Then you get your heart healed and you're like, I need a good guy like that. <laughs> and so all these things begin to happen at our staff back home before I moved here. And, and so what I would see occasionally is this, I would see somebody go rogue. And the Lord put something in my heart for this. And I just, I feel like I need to share this for V1 Church early on and get this into the DNA of our organization is don't go rogue. You know, like, what does that mean, go rogue? And I begin to study it. And actually, elephants are social creatures, which are defined by the, their roles that they have in this community. And I want to say something to just speak to the spiritual things that, that do happen, because I, I feel like what a ripoff to go to church and it was all the natural realm, right? Do you know that we were in prayer before this service happened and we had a meeting over there and I was asking people in this moment of quietness, do you feel God saying anything to you like you want to speak? And somebody was like, it was kind of a new experience. And they're like, you know, I, I'm not going to say it. But then the afterwards, they said, Pastor Mike, I just got the image while, while we we're in that moment. I got a picture of an elephant. And they didn't even know what I was going to speak on this morning. So if there's any doubt in your mind whether you are in the right place at the right time, hearing the right word, let me just confirm it right now. Because God gave this imagery of this elephant to this, this person on our team. And so you are supposed to hear this message, don't go rogue. What does that mean? So elephants, they, they have this hierarchy that's dominated by mothers. So in their, that's kind of what's normal. So they hang out together and they have these strong mothers and these strong aunts that, that you know, kind of help them get through life. And as a, and it's kind of funny thinking about it, but as an elephant goes through like a maturity stage, their genes begin to express themselves, you know, like puberty almost, right? But there's this gene that scientists have identified is a gene of belonging. And the gene that's inside of elephants that tell them you have to be a part of this pack, like you have to be a part of this herd. But every once in a while, what happens is as they're going through that phase of, of development, maturation, that, that gene fails to fully activate. And what happens is one of the, the elephants goes rogue. And here's what's crazy about it. And just imagine like Teenage Mutant Ninja elephants. <laughs> but they're, they're, they go crazy and these elephants start to tear everything up. They literally lose their mind. They go off, they separate themselves from the herd and they become so explosively, dangerously destructive that the only recourse, and now, now, now for those of you who are like animal rights activists, you can devote your whole life to what I'm about to say, but I'm just telling you the truth of what I studied and what happened. When you study modern science, they're like, that, that elephant becomes so destructive to the environment around it, all the, uh, the vegetation, everything, and even becomes a harm to other elephants, that the only recourse is to shoot it. Literally, they're like, if they, if they see this going down, they're like, that is so, that elephant is so destructive to this environment, it's better for the environment to kill it. Yeah. 
But then this other scientist recently discovered that there was one other way. And this is where God blew my mind. And this is uh, so stupid, but it just gets me so choked up because I know there's a wisdom to, to what is happening in your life. I'm speaking. I'm like imploring you right now to hear me. This one scientist discovered if you take the strongest mother of another herd and transplant it into wherever that rogue elephant is, it will literally start to mother that elephant in such a way that it will start to activate those genes to express to come back into the herd and literally change the DNA makeup of that rogue elephant. And you're like, well, wh why are you going to cry communicating that? I'll tell you why. Because as a pastor, my heart breaks for you every week. I think about you all day, every day. I pray for you by name. That's how we live. This is my existence. I literally bear your burdens on my back. And I'm trying, God, what do you have for them? How do I get them to the next level? But every once in a while, you take that offense. And I watch that moment happen where you question a decision or you question something. I watch your mind begin to, begin to do that thing that maybe even Judas's mind did in that moment and I see the devil waiting saying I did this in heaven in a perfect environment but they've already got wounds from their past where other people hurt them so this one will be easy I did this in a perfect environment like heaven but they've already been through some suffered relationships and some bad marriages so this one will be easy to keep them separated from the church and separated from connection and I watch this go down and sometimes I feel so helpless because I want to intervene. And what I believe God called me to do and what God called Julie to do is literally parachute into Long Island. This is literally what I feel like, just, just like, okay, you know what? Because the other churches, you know what they do when people disagree, they shoot them down. You know what people thought, now I'm preaching, okay? Now I'm preaching. The other churches, when, when people begin to go rogue, they write you off and they talk bad about you and they mar your name. The other churches, they're like, oh, there's only recourse for that. That one is to kill it, to take it out of the game. And some of you in this place have got some wounds right now from them being marksmen and thinking that the only way is to take you out. But what I'm here to tell you this morning is that we've got some people in this place that are called to mother you and father you, who are called to come alongside of you and say, you are never gonna reveal something so messy that it's gonna repel me because I'm stronger than that. You are never gonna say something so crazy to me that I can't bear the weight of because I'm crazier than that. And when you start to love like that, I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. I had this girl, her name's Taylor. And see, Taylor, you don't know Taylor. Taylor had, her dad died of an overdose. Incredibly gifted singer. Taylor was able to just get on the mic and blow the roof off of a 2,000 person church every Sunday because God had gifted her in that way. But nobody knew she was still carrying the brokenness of these wounds in her heart from her dad who had died of an overdose. And so she came as an intern and, and her within her first couple of weeks of the internship, man, we're breaking them down I and mean, we're working them. You know, it's like we, we don't play our version of ministry and revival is spelled W-O-R-K. And as she's getting broken down and all that, it's like things are being revealed because pressure reveals cracks and God uses pressure to reveal the areas that need to be surgically worked on and leaders who have the eyes of God see into those areas and fill those cracks. And so finally one day, Taylor came back to me just, just, just soaked and drenched in tears and she said, you, you're my spiritual father. And I said, no, no, I'm not. 
I'm not. And I'll tell you how I know I'm not, Taylor. I know I'm not because I had a father who left me. And I know a little bit about what a real dad is. And if I'm going to make that commitment to somebody, like, you don't understand. Like, it's a real thing. Like, it, this, you don't just throw the term, like, spiritual father around. And she was crying. She's like, no, it's you, it's you. And then Pastor Vanessa came. And some of you guys know Pastor Vanessa from Road to Life. And she was like, I was just in a meeting with Taylor and we just, just, we began to talk. And as we were talking, like the Lord just revealed, like you're in this season of her life, you're, you're to be her spiritual father. And so do you know that as we went on that journey, I accepted that role and I said, okay, let's, let's go on this journey. And I just watched her get so much healing. And do you know that like, I mean, she's like a 20 some year old woman, but my wife and I would have her come to our house and she spent Christmas Eve with us and we had a stocking for Taylor on her, you know, hanging up and she had her own stocking and, and for her birthday and different things. And you just, we just begin to treat her with that loving kindness and that tenderness and just begin to mother her and father her. And, and it was like, she was just going through bad relationships and picking those wrong guys and I, at one point I said Taylor you know you just keep dating the same guy with a different name right but one of these days when you get healed you're gonna see my man Trevor <laughs> I literally said this and you're gonna look at this guy and you're gonna say that's my husband and it was so funny because as she went through that process of healing all of a sudden there, there came a day where she she looked at me and she had this like kind of twinkle in her eye and she was like I think I'm feeling Trevor and I was like, I'm telling you, he's a real man because I got a high standard for men and I break them down for a living. This dude's been broken down a couple of times and he keeps being built back up. And there's very few Signorelli stamped uh, man, man card approval rating going on. And he's one of the two. Pastor Dave's the other one. <laughs> and, and so this weekend, as we were at her wedding and she walked down that aisle, <laughs> and I'm telling you, this dude, Trevor's amazing. Taylor's amazing, but as she walked down that aisle, I just literally saw a vision of the Holy Spirit like a dove with his wings just spread over that, that barn in Indiana. And I just looked at her and I looked at them and I was like, this is what it looks like when someone who is rogue, someone who is disconnected, someone who is rebellious, somebody who is tearing up their environment around them, and everyone who even tried to get close had somebody parachuted in and said, I'm going to love you back to existence. And so what I'm asking you this morning is this, will you allow yourself to call this place home and be loved so well that God deals with stuff that you have not let him deal with because you keep running away from the process? Will you allow yourself to just go all the way and say, God, whatever that looks like, I'm not going rogue. Because do you know that it's possible to disagree but commit? I mean, that's the definition of marriage, isn't it? Disagree but commit. I disagree but commit. Where do you wanna go out to eat? I still don't know. It's been a decade, but I'm committed to you. What do you wanna to do today? I still don't know. This is my story with Julie. She just loves choices, apparently. I always know what I want. I'm like, I want Indian food right now. She's like, I hate Indian. And so we go through this, but to disagree and to commit 
And I'm telling you what begins to happen in that environment is love starts just coming up and then all of a sudden when you, it's, it's just this amazing thing. It's like you give them preferences and you, it's like, man, you start to treat people with that way and it starts to cultivate the soil and the very culture of that place and people come in and they're just like, man, something's different there. You got, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it, but something's different there. And you kind of feel it happening now. So just stand to your feet. You kind of feel it happening in your heart now. God wanting to deal with some issues. God wanting to set some stuff right. And you know, as you guys are, as you're here just hearing this, this talk that we had this morning, I want you to know that in the times of your life where some of you have said, we're the real men, God's asking you to be one now. In the times of your life where you're like, I was so failed by a woman, where are the real women? God's saying, it's time for you to be one now. And God will raise you up in such a way that you literally become the very thing that you cried out in your darkest hour. And that's what God wants to do. And and so let's just honor that atmosphere. Just bow your head, just close. Thank you for listening. Your experience doesn't have to end with this message. Visit us online at v1.church and send us a message. If you would like to help V1 reach New York and beyond, download the V1 Church app for iPhone and Android and click Give. Join us this Sunday for our weekend celebration. Directions and info can be found on our website.